Well, the title of our message today is Freedom. And you know, as Americans, this is a theme we can all relate to, right? It's embedded in the fabric of our nation. I want you to think about it. Um, we live in a country that dedicates uh, an entire day to, to celebrating our national freedom. It's not just revered, it's celebrated. And according to President Biden, you might even actually get to celebrate your freedom this year with a handful of family members if, if he says it's okay. Um, we have to wait and see. Maybe, maybe not. Um, now, I joke about that, but you'd have to be living under a rock to not know and recognize that, man, this issue of freedom, it's a hot button in our society today, right? There's just people fighting and quarreling over First Amendment rights and Second Amendment rights and mandated face mask wearing and, and mandated quarantines and all of these things. And, man, it's just brought about the worst of our country, I think, of people just at each other's throats. And if you were with us last week, what you, what you saw as we were going through John's gospel, and we'll be back there next week, continuing in our study through the gospel of John, um, is that we're not the only ones who have struggled with this issue. Last week, we saw, as we celebrated Palm Sunday, we, we saw the historical significance of Palm Sunday. What happened? Jesus, as he came to Jerusalem, and he's coming to give his life as a ransom for many. Um, Mark 10.45 says the Son of Man came not to be served but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And this is what Jesus came to do. And all the crowds there, they saw him coming and they saw all the miracles that Jesus did. And so they just adored him. They swamped him. And the text reads this way. John chapter 12, verses 12 and 13. It says, The next day a great multitude that had come to the feast, when they heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem, they took branches of palm trees and they went out to meet him and they cried out, cried out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, the King of Israel. That word Hosanna, it means save now. And um, we, we saw that this gathering and even the words that they're speaking was a prophetic day. This was prophesied. Um, it was heralded by, by the prophet Zechariah. It was prophesied in the Psalms. It was a very significant day. This was a time when Messiah would come to set the people free from Satan and from sin and from death. It was predetermined time. And so the people are losing their minds. Here's our Messiah. And they're greeting him with these incredible greeting. But even though they're saying the right things, quoting these messianic verses and all, and calling him, you know, the Messiah and save now and all, their focus wasn't on a savior who could set them free from sin. They were looking for a savior who was going to set them free from government opposition. And so they were waving these palm branches. That was the equivalent of waving an American flag. Palm branch was a nationalistic symbol for, for Israel. And so they're waving these palm branches, and because they had seen the miracles, specifically, they saw Jesus rise a guy from the dead, Lazarus, called him out of the tomb, been in there for three days, Jesus called him out. Even his own sister said, God, he stinks by now. Like, what are you doing having him open the, 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 the tomb? And, and he's like, Lazarus, come forth. And here this guy comes out, resurrected, and everybody is just dumbfounded. And they go, anybody that could do that is the man for our job. 
He's the guy we'll hitch our wagon to. We, and, and, you know, we're under Roman occupation and it's horrible. And, and we don't like the government. We don't, we don't like their politics. We certainly don't like being occupied. And so they say, Jesus, we're throwing in with you. Welcome, Messiah. You can raise a guy from the dead. You're the guy for the job. And so the words they shout are actually prophetic. As I said, they come from Psalm 118, which says this. Save now, I pray, O Lord. That's Hosanna. Save now, I pray, O Lord. O Lord, I pray, send now prosperity. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We have blessed you from the house of the Lord. Now, why was, coming, why was the coming of the Messiah cause for such celebration it's the correct answer is because we desperately need a savior to save us. That's the correct answer, right? The Bible says that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And the Bible says that the wages of sin is death. That's actually part of the gospel. The word gospel means good news. And you go, that doesn't sound like good news to me at all. All have sinned, right? Sin means to miss the mark, which is basically saying ain't nobody perfect, right? And what's the, the, what's the consequence for you not being perfect? Death, right? All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God and the wages of sin is death. You work all week and you say, pay me, it's payday and give me my wages. Give me what I've earned. Well, the Bible says that you have earned death because you're a sinner, by nature and by choice. You go, man, that, that doesn't sound like good news. You know, that's the gospel. What's good about that? Here's what's good about that. That's not the end. What's good about it is the Bible says all have sinned. That word all, by the way, in the Greek, you know what that word means? All. All means all. That's all it means, right? Everybody. You can't weasel out of it. Can't get out on the technicality. You're a sinner. If you can fog a mirror, you're a sinner. Welcome. Um, all of sin falls short of the glory of God, and the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. It's a gift. Um, Paul, speaking to the Romans, he said this, for when we were still without strength, in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, Yet perhaps for a good man, someone would even dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love towards us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Such an incredible picture of a gracious, merciful God. And that speaks volumes because what Paul is saying here is that, hey, look, in life, there are some people that you'd willingly give your life for. Right? When you have kids, you all of a sudden understand, I would walk through fire for that, for that little kid right there that's keeping me up all hours of the night and, and making me just completely lose my mind and just, I, I, would, I would give my right arm for six hours of sleep unbroken, right? And still, that kid, we, I, mean, I, would, I would die for that kid in a second. I'd walk through fire for that kid, right? You know that. There are people in your life where you go, they're worth it. I'd give my life. There's other people in your life where you go, eh, not so much, right? <laughs> and the Bible says that God says to you, hey, look, I love you so much, I would die for you, and he did, right? Every last person on the face of the earth, and this is what Paul says, he's like, hey, some people you die for, some people you wouldn't die for, Jesus died for everybody, like, that's an incredible thing. 
Now, to the multitudes, going back to Palm Sunday, the week that Jesus is coming in Jerusalem, getting ready to go to the cross, right? They don't have any of this on their radar. Basically, that's not what they're rejoicing. They're celebrating a savior, not who could save them from sin. They're celebrating a guy who's going to save them from their circumstances. That's their attitude. That's their idea. And so when the psalmist declared under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, save now, Hosanna, save now, send prosperity now, what he's doing is he's pointing under the influence of the Holy Spirit as he pens these words, he's pointing to God's intended purpose for why Jesus came in the first place to save you and me from sin. This is what he's pointing to. This is the idea. The Apostle Paul was speaking to Timothy, who's a young pastor that Paul was mentoring, and he told him this. He said, this is a trustworthy saying, and everyone should accept it. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, and he says, I'm the worst of them all. Now, why is this trustworthy? Because Jesus Christ said this exact same thing himself. In Luke's gospel, Luke 19.10, Jesus said that the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. What is it that was lost? Correct answer, you were lost. I was lost. The entire race of mankind was lost. Romans 5.12 says that when Adam sinned, sin entered the world, and Adam's sin brought death, So death spread to everyone. You want to talk about an infection rate? 100%. It spread to everyone for everyone's sin. And listen, here's how you know this is true. You know this is true because the death that sin brings into our life, it's evident all around us. The death that sin brings is evident in our relationships, it's evident in our hopes and in our dreams, it's evident in our, in, uh, our reputations, it's, it's evident in our, our marriages, it's evident in our families, it, it's, it's evident, it, it, it's, it brings death to our very souls. And, and the permeating death of sin is what leaves us completely with an emptiness that we can never fill. And people try, and try as they might, you can never fill the emptiness that sin leaves in your life. Alcohol's not going to fill it. Drugs won't fill it. Uh, Sex isn't going to fill it. Relationships isn't going to fill this hole that's in your life. Accomplishments won't do it. Money won't do it. Success won't do it. Fame won't do it. There's all of these things in our life to where we go, man, this is what I, this is going to bring me happiness. This is going to bring me peace. This is what's going to bring me hope. I, I, always, I always think about, I say this every Easter, it's not even in my notes, but I can't help but saying it because it's just such a perfect picture, man. Uh, you know, you think about peace and people will like do everything. I, I'm just, I, I'm going to get a job and that'll give me peace. Or I'm going to get this relationship and that's going to give me peace. Or I'm going to, you know, I'm going to get that, you know, get that one thing that's, that's worrying me, taken care of. I get finally pay off that bill. Now I'll have some peace. But it, it never lasts. And Harrison Ford was being interviewed one day, and, and he says to the interviewer, you know, you always want what you ain't got. And the guy's like, okay, you're Harrison Ford, you're an actor, millionaire, you're a movie star, you own your own plane, land on the wrong runways and get away with it. Like, you do all this stuff. Like, what don't you got? Peace. 
That was his answer. Do you have peace today? See, you can in Jesus Christ. But see, apart from Jesus, there is a hole that you will never fill. John D. Rockefeller, John D. Rockefeller, he was, uh, even when you take modern you know, equivalents into consideration, he's the richest man who has ever walked the face of the earth. And somebody finally got enough nerve to say to the richest man on the earth, they're like, you got all this money, how much is enough? His answer, just a little bit more. Just a little bit more. See, nothing fills that, that void that we have. And we're just like that, by the way. We're like, if I could just get a little bit more money, if I could just get a little bit more time, if I could just get that job, if I could just get that house, if I could just get that girl, if I could just buy that car, if I could just get that guy, if I could just get rid of that guy, whatever it is, right? You know, all this stuff. And we think, man, that's going to do it. But listen, no matter how many zeros you have in your bank account, and you go, well, let me stop you right there. I got a lot of zeros in my bank account. I'm not talking about to the right of the decimal point. I'm talking about to the left of the decimal point. It doesn't matter how many zeros that you have in your bank account. It's all zeros at the end of the day. Absolutely all zeros at the end of the day. Why? Because when Adam sinned, sin entered the world, and Adam's sin brought death, and so death spread to everyone, for everyone sinned. And the truth of the matter is, apart from Jesus Christ, you're a dead man walking, you just don't know it. You just don't know it. But man, I'm telling you, you begin to know it as you realize ain't nothing filling. Ain't nothing lasting. There, there is just, what is the meaning of life? It's all meaningless, purposeful, or purposeless. And the truth is, mankind is lost and separated from God, and that is why Jesus came. Jesus came to save the lost. Now again, we're looking at Palm Sunday, the week before Jesus comes, and all the people are praising him and welcoming here, and if you ask them what was lost... They wouldn't respond that they were lost, the whole reason that Jesus came. They wouldn't answer that way. It wasn't even on their radar. They would tell you the problem is that their national freedom was lost. And that's what they're bemoaning. And so in their mind, they're like, hey, we need to be free from sin. And we need to be free from this stupid government, Rome. And hey, you know, Jesus is the guy who's raising people from the dead. So you do this. That's their entire myopic focus. They're just completely nearsighted and just see this one little thing, right? But the whole while, they are clueless to the fact that earthly freedoms are worthless if you remain in spiritual bondage and if you are enslaved to sin. Jesus Christ said, what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Are you on a track to gain and seek the things of the world and meanwhile your soul is just completely empty? You got to understand, this is the world that we live in. The world we live in right now is a world that's fixated on all of our earthly freedoms. Sexual freedom, political freedom, financial freedom, gender freedom. And people are obsessed with, you know, what are my freedoms and how can, I, how can I just live it to the full potential and I'm free to be me and you're free to be you and whatever, you know, floats your boat and it's all good. But as people fix on these freedoms, they're blind to the reality of spiritual bondage. 
See, here's the truth about freedom, and I want you to hear what I'm about to say. Many celebrate things that they think are freedoms, but they're actually things that are slowly enslaving them. There's things that, that we, we go, oh man, this is a freedom, but you don't realize you're being enslaved. There's a story that's told, and I'll just say up front, I don't know if this is true or not, but it shows up in a lot of sermons, and it's very handy because it's a great illustration. So I'm going to tell you this story, and if it's not true, just appreciate it for the illustration, all right? There's a and, here, and you're going to know in a second why I have no idea that it's true. It's about how to catch a monkey, right? Because we have so many of them in Temecula, I would know, right? Um, and... And, and so basically the idea is how, how some tribes catch monkeys is that they take, you know, a, a coconut and they, and they hollow out a, a little hole in it just big enough for the monkey to get their hand through. And what they do is they, they tie that coconut to a tree, right? And then inside the coconut, they, they put, you know, the banana or whatever it is that monkeys eat, they stick it inside the coconut. And so when the, when the monkey sticks his hand in there, well, once he grabs it and makes a fist, he can't get his hand back out of the hole. Now, all he's got to do is let go. And he gets his hand out of the hole and he's free. But he won't let go of that thing. And so the monkey is caught. Now, it's a perfect illustration when we talk about sin because there's so many people that go, hey, I'm free to do this. But, and, they, and they do it and they don't realize, man, I'm in bondage to that thing. And maybe today you're in bondage. And maybe even right now the light bulb's going off and you go, man, that really isn't a freedom. I'm actually enslaved to that thing. You know, it's like the guy who was smoking and, and his friend was telling him, man, you should quit smoking. He's like, I, I, I quit smoking all the time. I quit every day, Right? <laughs> That's easy. I quit all the time, you know? And so the, the issue is, is that a lot of people are in bondage. And many people are celebrating things that they think are freedoms, but they're actually enslaving them. Paul said this to the Romans, don't you realize that you become the slave of whatever you choose to obey? You can be a slave to sin, which leads to death, or you can choose to obey God, which leads to righteous living. And so the question then becomes for us, how do we achieve true freedom? Well, the Apostle Paul addresses this struggle perfectly in Romans chapter 7. He says, the trouble is with me, for I'm all too human, a slave to sin. I don't really understand myself, for I want to do what is right, but I don't do it. Instead, I do what I hate. I have discovered this principle of life that when I want to do what is right, I inevitably do what is wrong. Oh, what a miserable person I am who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin and death. Thank God the answer is in Jesus Christ our Lord. In these verses, Paul lays out for us three fundamental truths of the gospel. And here's the first truth he lays out that the problem lies within us. The problem lies within us. Paul says, the trouble is with me. I want to do what is right, but I don't do it. Instead, I do what I hate. Who can, who can identify with Paul honestly here and go, yeah, I'm right there with you, Paul, right? See, here's the thing. Modern psychology will tell you that man is fundamentally good. 
And that the flaws that, that people have within them, they're generally a product of our environment and of our culture. And so they tell you, if you look deep enough within yourself, you're going to find the answers to all your problems. The Bible, on the other hand, says something much different. The Bible says, if you look deep enough within yourself, you're going to find the source of all your problems. And by the way, when we talk about culture and environment, anybody with a two-year-old can tell you that <laughs> the sin problem is not a, a, a combination of culture and environment, right? It's not like you have a two-year-old child where you have to scold them and correct them for, for being very benevolent and giving and sharing all of their stuff. Johnny, no, stop sharing your toy with your sister. No, no, when she takes your toy, you grab it out of your hand, you hit her on the head, and you say, that's mine. Now do that, okay, there you go. You don't have to teach a two-year-old to be a little sinner. They just are, <laughs> right? The source of our problem is the fact that we are born with a sin nature. We are sinners by nature, we are sinners by choice. This is known, by the way, as the doctrine of original sin. The Bible teaches, as I shared with you already, that when Adam sinned, sin entered the world, and Adam's sin brought death, and death spread to everyone for everyone's sin, right? Romans 3.23 tells us that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Uh, the psalmist said this, the Lord looks down from heaven on the children of man to see if there's any who understand, are there any who seek after God? Here's his conclusion. They have all turned aside. Together they have become corrupt. There is none who does good. No, not even one. And Paul says this to the, to the Romans in Romans 3. He says, they don't know where to find peace and they have no fear of God at all. That brings us to the second fundamental truth of the gospel. That we are totally powerless against sin. We are completely and totally powerless against sin. Paul says, I've discovered this principle of life, that when I want to do what is right, I inevitably do what is wrong. Again, honest confession time, who can identify, right? Oh, I want to do what is right, but I end up doing what is wrong. It's like a diet, right? I'm not going to eat that donut. I'm not going to eat that donut. I'm not going to eat that donut. I'm eating the donut, right? This is, this is how we, I, I heard a comedian talking about a bathroom scale. He went to buy one and, uh, and he's just looking for an old fashioned scale and this salesman tries to upsell him. He's like, hey, you know, I got one. It tracks your weight. It, it, it tracks your body fat. It tracks your bone mass. It tracks your, your water percentage. And he's like, who needs to be depressed four different ways? Like, just give me the old fashioned one with the aisle that, that goes around, right? <clears throat> Speaking of our powerlessness against sin, here's what the Bible says. The Bible says that the desires of the flesh, Galatians 5.17, are against the spirit and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh for these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things that you want to do. The Bible calls this your sinful nature. And in Galatians 5, 19 through 21, it tells us when you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results are very clear. Sexual immorality, impurity, 
lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissensions, division, envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and other sins like these. He said, Paul, the Apostle Paul writing this says, let me tell you again, as I have before, that anyone living that sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. Let me say that again for emphasis. Anyone living that sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. That should scare you to death. I took my son over to Catalina years ago. We used to have a boat. We'd go over there all the time. And I, I took him over. We were, we were going spearfishing. And so we took the boat over and we, we anchored it one of the coves there and, and we were out, you know, snorkeling and, and Brenda and I were, were sitting on the boat and, uh, and all of a sudden, you know, Scotty pops up out of the water. He's probably, I don't know, 20 yards from the boat, something like that. Yeah, 20 yards, right? About Brenda, if you remember this. Yeah. So and he comes racing for the boat, jumps up on the swim step. He's, he's white as a ghost. And we're like, what's going on? He goes, I just saw a shark. Well, he left his little buddy Lyndon out hanging dry. Just, just Lyndon's out there in the thing. And so Lyndon comes up, like looking around, like where'd Scotty go? Scotty's like, uh, hey, Lyndon, you might want to come to the boat right now. Doesn't even tell him that, like what's going on? I'm like, Lyndon, get the boat, you know? So he swims the boat, jumps up, and, and it's like, hey, there was a shark out there. Now, why did Scotty react that way? Because it's a shark, for crying out loud. It doesn't matter. You got a spear in your hand. You're like, doink, 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 you know. <laughs> There's a shark over there, right? And, and he's powerless over that shark. And, and this, 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 you and I, we're utterly powerless against sin. Utterly, totally, completely powerless. And that brings us to the third fundamental truth of the gospel that Paul shares. We need a savior to set us free from sin. We need a savior to set us free. When Scotty swam to the boat, the boat was his savior to save him from a shark that he had no control over. And you and I eternally, we need a boat that we can swim to, spiritually speaking. We need a savior to rescue us. And when I tell you that you need a savior to rescue you, I want to be very clear. I am not talking about religion because religion never saved anybody. Religion is a system of I'm going to earn God's favor by doing good and trying harder and I hope at the end of the day my good, way, my good deeds outweigh my bad deeds and all this stuff so like I better save a kid from a burning building or put, you know, push somebody out of the way of a bus or something like that. Like I got to do this stuff to earn God's love. Hey, the Bible makes it clear you ain't got enough try in you to please God through your works. The Bible says that our righteousness is as filthy rags before the Lord. There's nothing that you can do to earn a right standing in and of yourself. Religion's never gonna save you. Paul's writing to the Romans in Romans chapter eight. He says to them, the law of Moses was unable to save us. Now, let me just make it clear. What's he talking about here? He's talking about when the Bible ta lists about the, all the, you should do this, you shouldn't do that, all of the, the rules, all of the laws, all of the way that you're supposed to behave, that's the law of Moses. And, and what Paul is saying, he says, it's unable to save us because of the weakness of our sinful 
nature. The Bible tells us that God gave to us his law as a tutor. And the purpose of the law was to reveal to you that you don't keep it. That's the whole reason. God gave you his law and said, now this is my will for you and I want you to live this way. And everybody comes up against it and says, okay, I'm going to do good. I'm going to try harder. And three minutes later, if you're super holy, then, you know, you don't do it. And if you're like the rest of us, three seconds later, you're like, I didn't keep it, right? That's, God gave you the law so that you would come to the place to where you go, wait a minute, I can't do this. And God's like, I, I know you can't. I'm showing you your need for Jesus Christ. I'm showing you your need for a savior. So he says the law, uh, because the weakness of our law was unable to save us because of the weakness of our sinful nature. So God did, Romans 8, 3, what the law could not do. He sent his own son in a body like the bodies we sinners have. And in that body, God declared an end to sin's control over us by giving his son as a sacrifice for our sins. That's the good news of Easter, guys. That's the good news of Resurrection Sunday. Again, Romans 5, 6 through 8. When we were still without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will, die for, will, will one die, yet perhaps for a good man someone would even dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. That while we're yet sinners, Christ died for us. And today, before we're done, when I pray at the end of the message, I'm going to give to you an opportunity to respond to God's loving kindness in the work of Jesus Christ. I'm going to give you an opportunity to get a God-sanctioned, greatest gift ever known to man opportunity for a do-over in your life to where you can, no matter what you have done here today, no matter what sins that you have weighing on your heart, no matter you know, how dirty and vile and, and abhorrent to God you may think that you are, God says, I love you and I'm gonna give you that opportunity that you can prevail upon his love and, and ask him to cleanse you and forgive you of your sin and to take residence in your life. And some of you, you need to do that. If I were to ask you where you're gonna spend eternity, and you go, I don't know where I'm going to spend eternity. This gift is for you, to where you can know. Isaiah the prophet, speaking of Jesus, he said that he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him. And by his stripes, we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned every one to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. And the Bible says that God does that because he loves us. God is not an angry God who is just looking for you to get it wrong so that he can wipe you out. That's not the heart of God. He loves you. Ephesians 1, 7 and 8 tells us God is so rich in kindness and grace that he purchased our freedom with the blood of his son and he forgave us our sins. He has showered his kindness on us along with all wisdom and understanding. Now, notice that phrase that he's rich in kindness and grace, that he purchased our freedom. That phrase, he purchased our freedom, it's a Greek compound word. It's uh, apolute rosis. That's the compound word. And it literally means liberation procured by the payment of a ransom. Specifically, it means your liberation procured by Jesus' payment of a ransom for you. 
And that's so incredibly important that we get that because it goes directly to this issue of freedom. It goes to this issue of freedom. Today, you might think that you're free. You might think, hey, I'm free to do whatever I want, whatever floats my boat. I'm free to do it. I can have sex with whoever I want. I can choose which parts of the Bible I want to believe. I can choose to reject the whole thing. I can pick and choose and say, oh, I like that verse about how God blesses me and wants to give me prosperity. And I don't like that verse about how God's going to judge the ungodly, so I'm going to discount that. I don't like the verses about hell, so I'm going to throw those out too. But I'll believe that there's a merciful, benevolent, God who wants the best for me. Yeah, who doesn't want that? I'll take that. And you're free. You can do that. You're free. Hey, my body, my choice. You can do whatever you want with your freedom with your body. You can, you can say, hey, you know what? I choose. I'm going to go and I'm going to abort my baby and, and I'm going to just do whatever it is that makes me happy. But what you don't know is that you're actually in bondage. You're truly in bondage. Listen, Paul, he was He's mentoring this young pastor, Timothy. And he says to him this in 2 Timothy chapter 2. He, he tells him, hey, Timothy, gently instruct those who oppose the truth. Perhaps God will change those people's hearts and they'll learn the truth. Then they will come to their sense, senses. Pay attention to that. They'll come to their senses and they'll escape from the devil's trap. For they have been held captive by him to do whatever he wants. Some people, you know, they're, they're just, they don't realize. They, they, they haven't come to their senses. You're actually in bondage. You think you're free, but there ain't no freedom in it. And that's what I'm here to do today with you, to gently tell you Jesus loves you. He loves you and he died for you and he died for you to set you truly free. The Bible says that Jesus makes us right with God, that he makes us holy and he makes us pure and that he frees us from sin. Do you need Jesus Christ to set you free today? Do you need to be made right with God? I'm here to tell you that you can be. 2 Corinthians 5.21 tells us God made him, Jesus, who knew no sin to be sin for us, literally to become sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Jesus took the sins of the world upon himself. Every sin that you will ever commit, past, present, future, Jesus took that upon himself and he paid the penalty on the cross. God is a righteous judge. God has to judge sin. And so what he did was Jesus said, I'll take it all, judge me. And that's what happened on the cross, is that he took our sins upon himself. And so he suffered, he died, he was buried, and three days later, he rose from the grave. And when he rose from the grave, he conquered Satan, he conquered sin, and he conquered death. He rose to newness of life. And now he offers that exact same thing to you and me. That if by faith we will believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, that he took my sins upon himself, that he died on the cross in my place, and that the penalty of my sin having been paid... Now, when Jesus rises from the grave, hey, by placing my faith in him, by placing your faith in him today, the Bible promises that you will be saved as well. 
The Bible says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things passed away. Behold, all things become new. And right now, I'm going to pray, and I'm going to give you that opportunity to respond. I'm going to give you an opportunity to to believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, and to confess it. Really, when we talk about salvation, the Bible speaks very clearly about three different things. One is repentance. Now, you might think repentance is, hey, you got to start doing good and trying harder because, like, you're not doing that good. So you better, you better start, you know, living it right, you know, living a right life. That's not what repentance is. Repentance is, I'm on the wrong road, and it simply means to turn. So what do you do? You turn to Jesus. And then what do you do? You confess. You say, Jesus, I'm a sinner, and I did a lot of bad things on that road. I believe you're the Savior, and, and I need you to change me. And that's the work, by the way. Some of y'all, you know, you, 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 you might think, well, I, I, I don't know if I can pray to receive Jesus because, because I've done too many things, you know, and, uh, and I don't know if I want to give those things up. Hey, Jesus cleans his fish after he gets him in the boat, okay? So confession is you're the Savior and I need some change in and I'm powerless to do it, right? And then invitation is Jesus, come into my life and save me.